Jazz Experience, Season 2. Let's go! Thanks for joining us for Season 2. Join the conversation with Nat, Dez, and friends as they share how to transform culture through family. Hey guys, welcome to the Matt and Dez Experience. I'm your co-host, Matt Gonzalez. And I'm your other co-host, Desiree Gonzalez. On today's episode, we have a great friend and also somebody who has really mentored us from afar over the years. We're so excited to have uh, Chris Valentin on this episode today. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Thanks so much for being on today. I'm doing great. Um, I'm just a privilege to be on. And I love you guys, and I love what you're doing. We love you too. So we love you too. so amazing. Oh, we awesome. we love you. You really have impacted our lives from afar, and just even uh, our times coming up to Bethel when we were working with Jesus Culture, and also uh, you know with the School of the Prophets. And so it's just been an honor to be able to uh, be around you guys, glean from you guys, and just really learn. And uh, I recall the first time really I got to interact with you. We were at a conference, doing a prophetic conference for Dan Vera uh, up in San Jose, California. I love those guys. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember this so good because at the time, you know, I was so excited to be a part of the conference, but also uh, you were actually somebody I really looked up, looked up to in the area of the prophetic, even just, you know, your books and just some of the things that deeply impacted my life. And so I got up there, it was like an afternoon session. I remember this as if it was yesterday. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to give my best sermon. I'm, I'm just going to go for it. I, I want to, I, I really want to impress Chris. <laughs> yeah, I've done that and, many times. Oh, it was a bomb. It was a bomb. And I learned something that day. Be you is the best thing <laughs> yeah. that you can do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've done so, that so many times. It's not even funny. Well, Chris, let's go ahead and get into the conversation. I'm going to ask you the first question today. Um, most of the listeners probably know who you are, but for those who are listening who may not know who you are, uh, can you tell, just share a little bit about who you are, uh, what your passions are in your role at Bethel Church? I'm a child of God. <laughs> and my yeah. role at Bethel is so secret, I don't even know what it is. No, um, let's see, uh, some things that might be I've been with Bill 41 years. Uh, wow. This is going on our 42nd year, and uh, I've been married 45 years to the same woman, and uh, she's my childhood sweetheart. Met her at 12, got engaged when she was 13, and uh, I was 15. I was 16. I um, got married when she was uh, 17. So I've uh, been married a long time. We have four kids and 10 grandkids, and we came to Bethel. Uh, so we were with Bill in Weaverville, and, uh, and we were in the we were actually in the business world, and we own nine businesses. And um, and then when we came to Bethel, we sold our businesses, and we came to Bethel to start school ministry, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Um, Bill invited us uh, to; it was his idea. Came came to start school ministry, and and so we've been uh, at Bethel for this is our twenty first year at Bethel. Wow. Awesome. So uh, and I think my official title, at least at the at Bethel, is I'm a senior associate leader. And uh, I, I, I'm, you know, I we over we oversee like seven corporations. So my titles wow. change depending on <laughs> on where I'm at, what do I do, and who I'm with. I'm basically basically Bill's right hand guy, I guess, kind of thing. Awesome. I'm the business guy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so come good. on. 
So good. So Chris, we are currently in season number two of our podcast. And this season, our theme is transforming culture through family. We would love to talk a little bit about that with you and how you've done that. You know, you've been such a great model at this. And, you know, we wanted to ask how, how is developing a family culture? How does that influence ministry and even in your own family over the years? Well, I I think, you know, Isaiah 61 has been the model verse that God gave me. Um, the first four verses of Isaiah 61, which is, you know, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me for the Lord has anointed me. The preach the good news, the afflicted, yeah. to bind the broken heart, speak release to captives, freedom to prisoners, favorable year of the Lord. It goes on like that, talking about the broken people. Then the fourth verse mm-hmm. says, then they shall return. The broken, mm-hmm. the demonized, the captive, they shall return and they shall rebuild the ancient ruins, raise up the former devastations and rebuild ruined cities. And so, you know, I think that having been the captive, I was the demonized as a Christian for three and a half years, my stories, you know, I've told my stories so many times. And so, you know, I grew up realizing that, you know, uh, I had an encounter with God, uh, when I was probably, I think around 26, when I was laying in the bathtub and the Lord came to me and I opened a vision and he told me, you're going to be a prophet to Kings and prime ministers and governors and presidents. And, and, and he told me that I would influence Kings to change the course of history till the kingdom of this world became the kingdom of our God. Then he turned around to leave, Jesus did, and he turned back to me and he said, history will tell us if you believe me. And so from that day on, Isaiah 61 was already my my motto verse. The Lord gave me that personally, those verses. My granddaughter, I have 10 grandkids. One of my granddaughters and my one of my grandsons has that tattooed on their arm as our family's motto. Wow. And um, anyway, all that to say that it's tattooed on their arm because it's it's tattooed on the hearts of my entire family. That when you get well, when you get whole, when you get saved, when you get delivered, when you get well, your next responsibility, your ultimate responsibility is disciple nations to yes. change the course of history. Come on. So that's our legacy. Our legacy is to transform culture. And all, my my kids, my grandkids, they're they're in. They're deeply invested in uh, there's what happens in their city is their responsibility. Mm. So good. Wow. That is so good. Speaking of your testimony, you know, uh, we've been deeply impacted by many of your books. I know Supernatural Ways of Royalty was one of the ones that we mm. used for so many years in our school of ministry. And one that really touched our heart was Spirit Wars, because when we read that, it actually gave us a healthy perspective of what spiritual warfare was to look like as a believer. And it really left such an impact in our life. You know, in chapter three of rules of engagement, you talk about war being a family affair. And you also reference Nehemiah uh, doing this in his life. And you share a personal story about your son and the bondage he was experiencing. Can you share a little bit about that time and how God led you and Kathy into that situation and through that situation and what are some of the ways you would advise parents on how to fight warfare for their children? I was thinking of um, Nehemiah's walls and how um, Nehemiah had them work on the walls and families and how part of the family would carry swords while the other part of the family would actually build the wall. You know, for 114 years, the walls were torn down. For 72 years, they tried to rebuild them. And what they couldn't do in 72 years, Nehemiah did in 52 days. <laughs> and Nehemiah's name means comforter. So it's a beautiful story of how the Holy Spirit works in our life to rebuild the walls of our life. And um, it's interesting, the Nehemiah strategy, because for 72 years, they tried to rebuild walls. 
and they did it in 52 days with the very same people. So they didn't bring in like, hey, let's bring in a new crew. Mm-hmm. Nehemiah actually worked with the people who actually were trying to rebuild the walls. And here's, the, here's his, one of the main points that Nehemiah makes. When the enemy comes in to try to stop the rebuilding of the wall, he says, fight for your family, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, for your children. In other words, everyone thought they were rebuilding a wall, but Nehemiah knew that they were actually rebuilding their family. And he made everyone an owner of the wall. By, and one of the ways he did it was uh, he assigned each family to the wall, which was closest to their home. Wow. So that the rebuilding of the wall directly benefited their family. And so wow. I think that's a beautiful picture. And, and, uh, but it's also, you know, Nehemiah had enemies and he didn't have any of those enemies until he started doing yeah. something great for God. And I think that, you know, some of the things that, we, that we've taught our children is oftentimes warfare is a compliment, you know, mm-hmm. and, and if your child is old enough to experience warfare, uh, an attack from the enemy, let's say, they're old enough to defeat the enemy by faith. And, mm-hmm. you know, Bill, this is Bill's famous quote, you know, that uh, children don't have a, a junior Holy Spirit. Yes. Now, obviously, their understanding of mm-hmm. God, their understanding of the Bible, all of those things are going to be dramatically, hopefully, you know, hopefully we're going to be more mature than they are as adults. Yeah. But their faith, childlike faith, Jesus acknowledged childlike faith over and over again. Their ability to just believe God. God said it, I can do it. And, you know, ultimately faith rules the kingdom. Jesus yeah. said you can move mountains with just a little bit of it. Come so, on, you know, faith's more important than understanding, isn't it? So children have great faith. And yes. what, and uh, Psalms 127 says that uh, children are like arrows in the hands of warriors. Yes. And so, you know, they are powerful weapons of warfare against an enemy. And mostly uh, what I see happening, at least, or at least what's common is we see our children attacked at night, and, uh, you know, terrors and, and bad dreams and, you know, tormenting thoughts and tormenting spirits and ghosts in their room, all kinds of crazy stuff that you and I hear about. And and I'm like, the enemy wants to take out our children because he knows the ultimate destiny and purpose of them is to destroy the works of the devil. Yep. So, you know, I, you know, I, uh, I was trying to think of the story in chapter three, but I remember one story that um, I can't remember what chapter it's in the Spirit Wars book, but it was my granddaughter who was, um, you know, was, she was two and she was, uh, had several angel visitations and mm-hmm. she began to, as she began to be able to articulate, she'd call them birds. At first he was, she'd call them birds. And then we, uh, quickly, uh, figured out after I say quickly over a few months, we realized like she was actually having angel visitations. And and it, as she got older into her early teen years, they actually took her to heaven. You know, she she had heavenly experiences. Wow. And but uh, when she was two, she started having tormenting uh, nights, and she'd wake up in the middle of the night screaming, "The birds are after me! The birds are after me! The birds are after me!" And it, it was really like we just went through this for you know probably a couple months and. And uh, one night, my daughter called three times, you know, like one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. It's like, Dad, I don't know what to do. Misha is just tormented. And, and uh, at the last time she called that night, I, I just had this thought and I said, ask her what color the birds are. And she said, the birds are black. And uh, actually, I think it was ask her what color the angels are, because by then we'd, we'd known that they were angels. And uh, I said, oh, those are demons. Tell her to tell them to get out of her room. So she went back to sleep, and uh, and about I don't know an hour later, an hour and a half later, 
they hear her yelling. So they run into her bedroom. She's a little two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, and she's pointing at the window, and she said, she's, she, and she's telling the, the angels, the demons, to go. And when they walked in, her mom said, what, what are you doing, Misha? And she said, I tell the bad, the bad angels to go outside. <laughs> Come on. And, Come on. And that was the end of that uh that warfare season for her. So, you know, we wow. we learned as a family that, you know, children's faith is understanding is very limited, but their faith is very great. That's so good. So you know, good. what I love you even talk about in the book how, you know, you over the years you guys have had different people live with you. You talk oh, about yeah. one young lady who lived with you, but how you did not keep your children from experience some of the deliverance that was going on. And I feel like that is so key. That actually was a key principle even for us, you know, when we started having kids that, you know, our ministry being predominantly on the college campus, there was a lot of students that were getting radically delivered and we didn't hold that back from our children. And it actually served as a platform and benefit for them to be able to see that, to make them, uh, you know, that there is a a reality of a spirit realm, even at a young age. And I love how you did that, you and Kathy as parents. Yeah, I think sometimes we're, you know, I know what we're trying to do. We're trying to protect our children. And yeah. by the way, we know fathers provide, protect, and promote. So it is our role as a father and a mother to, mm-hmm. you know, the mother hen, the, the father protector. I mean, we're, we don't want to expose our kids to a bunch of crap. I get that. Yeah. Right. The, the other side of that is that we are preparing them for life. Yes. And, and we're not just preparing them for life in the first heaven, we're preparing them for life in the spirit. And so if they, if we shelter them from every experience that we have, um, or from most experiences, and, and again, this may, this has to be age appropriate, but they, right. they don't actually ever experience, uh, warfare and therefore they never experience victory because there's mm. no victory without a battle. Spirituality becomes a philosophy to them. And, and, you know, and how many of our kids, I mean, it's, this is a sad, sad story, but. Our universities are talking students. Are, yeah. They're talking our sons and daughters out of Christianity because this is why. Because they got talked into it. Mm, but yeah. a man of a, with an experience, a woman with an experience has power over a person with a philosophy or, mm-hmm. or, or a strategy. Wow, uh, right. with, you know, so the point that I would make is that our kids need to experience God and they need to experience warfare. They need to experience real life in the spirit so that so that when they, you know, when they leave our house, that they're actually prepared, not just by articulation, but by demonstration. Wow, wow, wow. And, and again, it needs to be, you know, age appropriate. We need to be careful how, how all that goes. And we don't want to just throw them in the mix and have them have nightmares and have a bad experience. But at the same time, you know, we, we have to expose them to the real thing. Yeah, that's how we got exposed. Being on the college campus, we, I mean, there's things you learn uh, being in ministry around college students who, yeah. you know, are pre-believers that they don't teach you in Bible college. They don't teach yeah. you some things exactly. that when this happens, what do you do? Not and so you get uh, on the job training yeah. and you get it quick. You know, Chris, one of the things I do love about Spirit Wars is that it's your personal story and journey. Uh, what would you tell the person who's listening right now that may be having some tormenting encounters very similar to what you were going through, especially, uh, you know, living right now in this pandemic, seems like people's anxiety, worry, stress is so high. 
What are some keys that you would give them to be able to maybe deal with some of the things that they're dealing with that was very similar to what you went through? Well, you know, um, in, in the book, I share the story, which was probably the beginning of my total restoration. And I was demonized for uh, about three and a half years. And it began with a thought, really. I started to uh, get out of the bathtub one night and I had this thought I was going to die. You know, we all know we're going to die, right? We're all going to die. And that's the way we're going to live, right? It's We can't live unless we die. But so it wasn't like an acknowledgement of the fact that I'm going to die. It was more like someone put a gun to my head and Mm -hmm. said, I'm going to kill you. It's that kind of immediate panic. And uh, I couldn't, I I lost all strength in my body. I couldn't get out of the bathtub. I was uh, 20, I think I was 22 and Kathy was eight months pregnant. And I started yelling, I'm having a heart attack. I'm having a heart attack because my, my heart rate was just pounding out of my chest and Wow. She came, you know, rushing in and anyway, called the doctor, the doctor, you know, asked her to check some things. And he finally, he immediately said, he's not having a heart attack. He's having a panic attack. And then I started having those, like, first it was a couple a day and then I would have 10 a day and then 15 a day. And then, you know, and then I would sweat. I would have totally horrible thoughts of doing terrible things to people. And I mean, I would see him in, 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 you know, kind of like in visions in my mind, in my imagination, I would see myself doing these horrid things to people. And I started fearing that I was going to do that. I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to kill someone. I'm going to do something terrible to somebody. And, uh, and, and so that lasted three and a half years. And, uh, we moved to a little town, uh, called Lewiston and then later to, uh, Weaverville of 900 people. So we moved out of, out of the Bay area, out of San Jose, and we moved yep. to this little town to, so I could get well, but I didn't get well. I just got worse. Mm-hmm. And we were probably there for maybe eight months still having panic attacks and and then it started getting really demonic like pictures would fall off the wall and the phone would ring the lights would turn on and off and demons wow. demons would show up in my room and, and it wasn't like uh it wasn't like a schizophrenic thing like hey this is not really happening but it's in your mind yeah. like it like kathy would see it too like pictures fall mm-hmm. off the wall spontaneously and phone rings you know there's nobody there and and the lights turn on and off, and it's just like crazy stuff, you know, like haunted house stuff, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then one uh, one night, I you know used to wake up in the middle of the night, I couldn't sleep, so I'd go turn on the stereo, you know, the old stereos, and it's before we had <laughs> headphones yeah. and all that. And I'd turn it on, you know, really quiet, and I put my head right up against the speaker so I wouldn't wake my family. And I'm laying on the floor. It's a winter night, snow on the ground, two three feet of snow on the ground. You know, it's kind of an eerie cold night and we live in the forest and I can hear uh, we're in the mountains so it's real staticky but I hear a man on a talk show Christian and he said uh, and I was a Christian three and a half I was four years a Christian and he said uh, this verse God hasn't given us the spirit fear of love power and sound mind which I knew that verse very well and and then he said this he said some of you think you're going insane but you're asking listening to a spirit of insanity and spirits attack you by giving you their thoughts and then accusing you of having them. And then he said, not all your thoughts are your own. I had never heard anything like that before. I mean, I, I, I mean, we were radical believers. I was taught a Christian could be mentally ill, but they could not be demonized. Yep, yep. So I turned the radio off. I'm laying on the floor. You can just picture this like it's an eerie, dark, moonless night with three feet of snow on the ground. And we're in the dark woods. I'm laying on my back and I say, what should I, I said to Jesus, what should I do? He said, tell the spirit of insanity and the spirit of fear to leave you. Oh. It was really crazy because, you know, 
when you're going through this, and probably people who are listening to podcasts, if you've been through anything like this, you think, well, telling a spirit to leave me is not going to fix three and a half years of torment. Hollow. Yeah. But I, I'm desperate. I'm desperate. I'm like, yeah. okay, whatever it takes. So I just said out loud, you spirit of fear and you spirit of suicide. No, you spirit of fear and you spirit of insanity. Leave me right now. And, um, and I saw lots of demons with my eyes before that. I didn't see anything, but it, they're physically like a weight got off of me hmm. and my mind immediately returned to normal. Like, oh. like in one second, I, for the first time in three and a half years, my mind was totally free. Wow. And, and for a complete week. And as a matter of fact, I would test it by going in the bathroom and thinking a bad thought. I'm like, okay, I'm going to initiate a bad thought. Okay, I'm going to think I'm going to die. And nothing, nothing would happen. And that would, I mean, I would even take a chance of doing that before. I would, I would instantly break out in a panic attack and break out in cold sweats. And uh, for a solid week, my mind was completely well. And then uh, one day I was driving and I heard this voice in my mind, not in, it wasn't audible. Uh, and I was, I was saying, I was singing and I was coming home from work and I was saying, I'm going to tell everyone about this. I'm going to get hundreds of thousands of people freed. And this voice in my mind said, if you tell anyone, I will kill you. And all the symptoms came back and I pulled over inside the road shaking. I couldn't drive. And then this other voice said to me, does the devil hate you? I said, yes. He said, why didn't he kill you when you got saved? I said, I don't know. And he said, because he can't. He has no power over you. His power is in an illusion. Come on. It's all an illusion. He has no power over you unless you give it to him. And so from that day on, I learned... Uh, I learned immediately, well, immediately in that week, I learned it's one thing to get free. It's another thing to stay free. I learned that the the demons travel at the speed of thought. So Mm -hmm. I had to watch my thoughts. And in those days, I had to really watch my thoughts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you know, the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty for the pulling down strongholds. And we're pulling down thoughts, speculations, and lofty things. So I learned right away, like, warfare is in the mind, begins in the mind. And I had to actually manage my inner world. You know, and um, and that's what I learned. I'd like to just tell you a really quick story. I don't want to take all the time, but yeah, no, I, keep going. I I, uh, I saw this dog, this this lady in our in our neighborhood. This is probably seven years ago. Uh, she was a little uh, Asian girl. She couldn't have weighed a hundred pounds, and she had these two great big dogs. I think they were called mastiffs. Mastiffs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're they're monster. They're like hundred and fifty pound dogs. Yep. And they were, they were kind of like young puppies. I mean, they were like 150 pounds, but they were young dogs. And she was walking them down the street, walking them, quote, walking them down the street. <laughs> and they were dragging her down the street. And they were pooping in people's yards and peeing on their property. And she was trying to, of course, keep them over in the middle of the street. And she was taking them for a walk, but they were taking her for a walk. Yep. And I, I looked at that. You know how this happens to you guys? I'm watching that, and the Lord says, that's how most people think. Dang. <laughs> this is how most people think. Their minds their minds are like those dogs, and they spend all the time trying to intrigue the dogs, keep the dogs from peeing on people's yards by feeding them, feeding wow. the dogs. And the Lord said, they don't, they don't know how to train their mind. So they... Their mind tells them what to think. They don't tell their mind what to think. So good. And I, I realized, like, now this is years later, right? This is years after all of that incident I told mm-hmm. you about. Yeah. And I'm like, that is such a crazy, 
perfect illustration of are you are you managing your mind or is your mind managing you? That's mm, good. Come on. That's so good. That is so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, wow. I had another question kind of going back to the book, Chris. Um, also in chapter three, you talked about how it's so important that we understand our personal victories have a corporate ramification to them. And so I, I guess I want to just ask, how have you seen when people, I guess, especially leaders have not taken personal responsibility for their own victories? And what's the impact generationally for those that come after them, both in their family and those that are they're leading? Maybe we'd call that generational curses, maybe, or could be, uh, yeah. Yeah, it could it could be that bad, right? Where, you know. Yeah. Somebody uh, like like mom or dad opens up a second yes. heaven gap in our covering because we cover mm-hmm. right. Uh, yep. For instance, First Corinthians seven says that a believing parent, believing spouse covers is sanctifies their whole household. Yep. So what happens when you get into porn or you open the door in adultery or you step into homosexuality or or lying or you know like a, a yeah. thousand million right. different things. Yep. Is that, you know, when you win those victories, like let's say I was a liar and I actually repented and now I watch over my mouth like a guards on my, yes. on my brain. Well, that personal victory closes a hole and creates a legacy of righteousness for my own children so that they don't, there are attacks they won't have to face because I beat that giant in our land. Yes. But if I open the door to those evils in my life, it's metaphorically speaking, it is raining on my children. So, you know, one of the things we have to think about is that there's really no such thing as private sin. Or let me say it differently. My sin affects other people. That's what yes. I'm really trying to say. Right. My sin affects other people. Yep. Um, you can break those curses. You can break that that pattern. King David was a really great man. He He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a great man. And he fell with Bathsheba. But look what it opened up with Solomon. Yeah. I mean, Solomon's the wisest man in the world, but what is Solomon's sin? It's foreign women. Yeah. And, yes. and, you know, uh, Abraham uh, Abraham was a great man of faith. Abraham had a, a major flaw in that Abraham lied. Yep. And, you know, what's interesting is Isaac lied to the same king. Jacob was, his name means deceiver. It's really important that we realize that as parents, because we're talking a lot about parenting today, mm-hmm. that as parents, that our personal victories are actually public displays of covering. Yes. But our personal failures actually open up things that our children should not be exposed to. Now, let me give you a little good news, because there's a lot of people listening that, like me, like I, I, my father drowned when I was three, and I had two stepfathers who didn't like me, and tons of bondages in my family you know, I mean, just I could just tell stories all day about it, but I I take a lot of my instruction from Josiah, King Josiah. He yeah. became king at eight years old. Now, here's what's really important: he lived in an old covenant, right? So he yeah. doesn't have the blood of Jesus. He doesn't have the advantage of the blood of Jesus, mm-hmm. which is amazing. I mean, I mean, it's a bummer, but it's amazing what he does with even in that day. Manasseh was his grandfather. It says of Manasseh. If you read about the kings, it says, and this king was wicked, and this king was wickeder. Well, when it gets to Manasseh, it says that Manasseh was the wickedest king in the history of Israel. There was no king wickeder before him and no king wickeder after him. So he is marked 
as the wickedest king in Israel. His son, Manasseh's son, was named Ammon. It says that Ammon walked in all the ways of his father, Manasseh. In other words, two generations of wickedness. Hmm. His son, Ammon's son, is Josiah. He becomes king at eight. When the book of Kings lists his lineage, instead of naming his father, Ammon, it says, and Josiah was the son of David and the son of Jedidiah. His mom was named Jediah. I think it was called Jediah was her name. It does not mention his biological father yeah. as his father. It mentions King David. By, by the way, King David is not even in his biological lineage. Yep. Huh. So David, King David is not even his great, 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 great grandfather, which is amazing. So Josiah's bloodline was tied to righteous David. Instead of his biological father, who was wicked. Come on. And his mother is mentioned as one of the only mothers in the kingly lineage. It mentions his mother because his mother was righteous. And here's my point. People say things like, oh, you know, I don't know what to do. My father was a warlock. My father was a, you know, a seventh level mason, a 20th level, whatever. And I'm like, if Josiah can be righteous at eight. When his grandfather was the warlock of warlocks and his dad followed and all his, then what is our excuse? (laughs) I mean, that is the best story in the whole Bible when it comes to (laughs) breaking generational curses right there. Come on. If you love Jesus, your bloodline is tied to Jesus. And if your father or mother or great-grandfather, great-grandfather, whatever, if you're some sin your grandfather was a child molester and you're like, you're being tempted with child molestation. Like you're being tempted, like, Oh, you know, you have thoughts of molesting your children and you're like, Oh, that was, that's coming from my grandfather. It's like, you just cut that thing off and say, I reject you. My bloodline is Jesus Christ. What my grandfather does did have no bearing on me. Come on. Oh, I, oh! I'm getting, I'm stirred. Right I know. Now. <laughs> just, that's a mic drop moment right there. You know, uh, Chris, we have noticed both you and Bill have done such a great job building with the next generation in mind, and that is really interesting because many times as leaders, we build for the now, but we don't build with the next generation in mind. Uh, what advice would you give leaders right now? on how they begin to build generationally? And what are some things that you guys uh, maybe were some values to build generationally? Well, I had an encounter with the Lord that really changed my life forever on, on that subject. And that was, I was laying in the prayer chapel. This is uh, 18 years ago. And mm-hmm. I was praying and I was taken 100 years into the future. And now I know this is going to be hard for some people to believe, uh, but you know these kind of visions are common in the Bible. You might ask the question, like, how do you know you're 100 years in the future? I earnestly don't know. I just knew it was like a, it was like God, it was almost like God put it in my mind. Like, I didn't, he didn't speak it to me. And I, I'm inside this mansion. I don't know if it's a mansion, a palace, a castle. I was inside and I was standing next to, it was a, it was like a family reunion. There was like 50, 60, 70 people, kind of like there would be at Thanksgiving at, you know, in a large wow. family. And uh, it, was a, it was a beautiful, ornate palace or mansion or something. And, uh, and I was, there was an old man, and he was uh, talking to a bunch of children. 
probably like seven, eight, nine-year-old children. And there was, you know, men in the front room and women in the kitchen. And there was all this normal activity you would have in a big family. And I was standing next to this fireplace and I could see him perfectly, but he couldn't see me. And in the vision, I knew he couldn't see me, but I could see him. Like I could touch him. He was right next to me. And he was standing up and he was doing what old men do. He was telling stories about their history. We were right in front of this uh, fireplace that went up like 30 feet in the air. It was a rock, like a cobblestone uh, fireplace. And then the old man's tone of his voice changed. And he began to stare like as if he was uh, like in a trance or, 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 or in deep thought. And he began to tell them about their noble history. And as he wow. did in the vision, everybody in the front room came in, the kitchen like everybody came in and they all sat down, some on the floor, some on couches. They were all around him. And I was standing right next to him. And you could hear pin drop as he began to tell them about their noble history. Wow. And then in the midst of it, he points to the fireplace and the mantle of the fireplace. And he says, and all of this, he went like this, and all of this with his hand, he waved his hand. He said, and all of this began. And he points to the fireplace, and over the fireplace, there's a huge portrait of Kathy and I. And he says, all of this began with your great, 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 great grandmother and grandfather. Whoa. And immediately, I was back in the floor in the uh, uh, prayer house. And when I, when I kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say landed inside myself, but when I came back into my mind, I heard these words, I want you to quit your ministry. And from this day forward, you will build a legacy. You are to have a vision. Wow. You are to have a hundred year vision from this day forward. And I woke up out of that, whatever that was, vision. And I, be, and I said to Kathy, we have to have a hundred year vision. And, wow. uh, and I began to ask the question, okay, how do I touch a generation I will never see? How do I live for a generation I will never see? How would I communicate to a generation I will never see? Wow. And I started thinking about it. And, you know, we were really broke in those days. We had no money. And uh, at the time, we had five grandchildren. And I said, or six maybe. And I said to Kathy, I think we should, even though we don't have much money, we should put $50 every month away for our grandchildren. And we should just start investing in their lives. And then I wrote a book that I think a year or two later called um, Heavy Rain. I was actually in the middle of writing the manuscript at the time, and I stopped writing. I was probably a couple chapters into it, and I felt like the Lord said, I want you to write this manuscript to your great, great, great grandchildren. So I finished the book by writing to them. I mean, you wouldn't know it. You would just read the book. But I, I pictured myself writing to my great, great, great grandchild, who I would never know. And then I, and then I put in the book you know, dedicate this book. I dedicate this book to my great, 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 great grandchildren. By the time you read this book, I will be watching you from heaven. But I want you to know that I wrote every word of it with you in mind. So I think if you're going to influence the generations that are yet to be born, you have to have them in mind in every decision you make. <laughs> we got to get our, I mean, I'm stirred right now. Oh, you know, kind of on that subject, we had one last mm. question for you, Chris. Um, Regarding like fathering a movement, it's one of our passions is to see kind of like all generations play a part. Like, yep. you know, I think that there's sometimes maybe 
not meaning to, we kind of exclude certain people, you know, whether they're too young or too old, you know, and we just, we just feel like that's just not God's heart. And so we just kind of wanted to know your, your thoughts on what does it look like and leading a movement and how, how do we see fathers and mothers and the grandparents work together and everyone has a role in the equation? Years ago, I, uh, we had this unique year at Bethel and we had uh, prophets come in. And this one year we had five prophets come in, which is pretty unusual for us. We didn't usually have that many guest speakers, but this year we did. And every every prophet that came in or prophetess, uh, uh, there were two women, I think three men or something, they prophesied that, well, I mean, they spoke, but one of the things they did, all five of them did that year, is they prophesied that revival was coming from the youth. And I was like, you know, I got grandkids, so I'm good. That's good for me. I'm good with that. <laughs> but uh, the fourth time it happened, uh, the third time it happened, I felt physically sick, and I just thought there was something wrong with my, you know, with my digestive system. The fourth time it happened, I fell down on the ground and I started weeping. Have you ever had an encounter where you don't know, like your spirit is having an experience, but your but it doesn't relate it to your brain? It's very odd. And I I have to tell you, I haven't had very many experiences like that, but I did not know what was wrong. I mean, I literally didn't have any problem with the message. And then the fifth time was in December and, and this prophets, you know, and, and every time they have like, let's have the youth stand up and we pray for them or whatever, you know, I'm I'm like, I want, you know, like I'm in, like I was a youth pastor, you know, for like 15 years. So I'm in. And uh, so the fifth time it happens in that same year, this guy's like, have the youth stand up or whatever we were, whatever we were doing to, to acknowledge them, pray for them. I got so overcome with grief. It was a Friday night meeting that I ran out of the building. Like I'm the pastor. I run out of the building and I go back to our apartment and I'm laying on the floor. And there was another, there was a couple more pastors there and I, I have to go and I don't even know what's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And I get home and I'm laying on the floor and I'm just weeping as if, I lost the best friend, but I don't actually know what's wrong. I'm like, man, I'm going through menopause or something, you know? <laughs> and I'm laying there and my, I literally am like trying to figure out like what is going on with me? You know, like, you know, David said to his soul, like, soul, why are you distressed within me? Mm-hmm. It was that kind of moment. Like, I don't actually know why I'm distressed. And the Lord said to me that my prophets, my prophets are speaking from the second heaven. And he said, when I have an opinion, you don't have a right to another one. But where I'm silent, feel free to dream. That's what he told me. And then he said, revival is not coming from the youth. It's wow. coming from one generation. And he acts chapter two. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, all flesh, Come your on. sons and daughters, your young men, your old men, your bond servants. So, you know, revival doesn't have a generation. It doesn't have a gender and it doesn't have a social class. Right. And then, and then the Lord said, and then I had this uh, vision. It was in my mind vision. And I saw this man, this father, he had two daughters. And he said to the one, you're beautiful, but said nothing to the second. And then the scene changed and they were the same, same daughter, same father. They were in another place. And he says to the same daughter, you're beautiful, but says nothing to the second. And then, wow. uh, and then the third time, the same thing happens. And the Lord said in the vision, omission is powerful. And yes. then, and then he asked me a question. He said, what generation, what generation does your culture honor? Well, come on. Everyone's trying to be young, right? I mean, it takes five <laughs> seconds to answer that question. Yeah, yeah. And the Lord said to me, what generation does my word honor? 
wow. the most. Immediately, oh, a gray head is a crown. Mm-hmm. And the Lord said to me, think about Malachi 4. In the last days, I'll restore the hearts of fathers to sons and sons to fathers. Uh, you know, fathers to children, actually, it says, and children to fathers. At least I smite the nation with the curse. The enemy mm-hmm. cannot stop revival. So he tries to separate the generations so there is no inheritance. Come on. Wow. Listen, <laughs> young people need old people. Yes. Yes. Old people need young people. Absolutely. Like, like when you say to young people, revival is coming from the youth, what are you saying to the middle-aged guy? What are you saying to the yeah. old, old lady? What are you saying to the elderly? You are saying, listen, just send us the money. We got this. And the truth is, is that the anointing starts on Aaron's head and it flows all the way down to the feet, meaning that when we're in right order, that the, the anointing that began with the old men, old women, will touch the very smallest child as long as we don't get out of order and create dripping points. So good. So good. We, we have so many more questions. We'll have to maybe do another episode some another time, Chris. Thank you. So I mean, there's just, I'm, I'm all stirred up. I'm all stirred up. <laughs> lost for so words, good. and I'm a I'm a speaker. I'm a preacher. I'm not, I'm never lost for words. Well, lastly, would you like to leave any last thoughts with the listener today, Chris? Uh, I just want to say that uh, we're in a unique season. I don't know when you'll share this podcast. So, but uh, we are currently in the midst of this virus, and I want to say that humility is the way forward. Come on, wow! And humility plus nothing equals promotion. James, Peter, John, no, James, Peter, and Paul, and Jesus all said, if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Yeah. So you're like, should should this open now or not now? Should this happen now? Not now. Those those are great questions that, that we that have to be answered. But personally, humility plus nothing. I could I don't have to be smart. I don't have to be educated. These things are all advantages. I don't have to have many skills. I don't have to be very gifted. I don't, I don't have to have a perfect record. Yep. If I humble myself, I will be exalted. So humility plus nothing equals promotion. So good. And I think in this season of, quote, uncertainty, what is certain is those who humble themselves will find themselves on top wow. at the end of the day. Wow. wow. That is wow, so wow, good. Wow, wow. So, Chris, where can, people, where can people continue to follow you, glean from you, or get some of your resources? Uh, uh, ChrisV.com. Gotcha. Awesome. Or ChrisVallotton.com awesome. or Chris Ministries. It all takes you to the same. There are many roads <laughs> that lead you to Chris <laughs> Ministries. There's only one road that leads you to Jesus Christ. Come on. <laughs> well, guys, make sure to check out the show notes to find out how you can follow Chris and get some of his resources. And remember, Families where life begins, destiny is found, identity is enhanced, and love never ends. If this podcast has enriched your life, make sure to subscribe. And would you share this podcast with a friend or family member as it will help us extend our reach? Thank you for listening to this episode today. Until next time, this is Matt Gonzalez. This is Desiree Gonzalez. We are out. Be blessed. I love you guys. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode of the Matt and Des Experience. This podcast exists to inspire and motivate you to transform the world around you. Continue the journey with Matt and Des Gonzalez by liking them on Facebook and checking out mattanddes.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast.